Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. Really great to be with you again this week. Two Ways News, it's a regular newsletter and podcast where Philip Jensen and I try to bring gospel thinking for today. That's our tagline. But I seem to be having some trouble tracking Philip down at the moment. I think he's heading up to mid-year conference as I record this. That's the big student conference that Campus Bible Study runs each year around this time, and I'll be heading up there uh, this week as well. And so it's just me again in today's edition, and the subject of this week's episode comes courtesy of an email from one of our subscribers. Thank you for all the emails that you send in. We get so many interesting responses and questions and comments. This one from Craig in the US raises two really interesting and important issues that we really should address. And as I started to rough out some answers, I realized that it was going to take me most of this episode, if not all of it, to deal with even just part of what Craig raises. Both of the questions Craig poses have to do with how our doctrinal or theological understanding of things plays out in our church life. In the first case, he asks about the understanding of the people in the church he attends and the lack of theological awareness that he sees around him. He says this, Our minister's preaching is, as far as I can tell, consistent with historical orthodoxy as contained in the creeds and the 39 articles. However, as you have pointed out, people do not always hear what the preacher says. And our church offers no theological training to lay leaders that I know of. I frequently encounter lay leaders in our church expressing heterodox views, such as the incarnational sonship, denial of original sin, failure to understand there is one divine essence, not three instances of his essence, salvation by faith plus works, experience as more important than scripture, absolute free will in the unregenerate, and so on. I believe this has a secondary effect in the devotion of many Christians to the culture wars, to the neglect of the gospel. Can you address how ministers can foster sound and coherent doctrine in their churches? Now, there's a great deal to discuss here, and I'd like to talk about it, I guess, under two headings. I'd like to think about the problem that Craig is raising and just explore that a little bit more before talking about possible solutions, what might possibly be done. Because the problem that Craig outlines has a number of facets to it. First of all, there's the simple everyday reality that Christians do have all kinds of false or misguided or imbalanced doctrine lodged in their brains. I touched on this briefly, I guess, in our edition last week, or the week before, I think it might have been, how in so many ways we all fail to think and live consistently with our profession of Christ. And that we need to pray about this. We looked at that lovely prayer that says, Grant unto all them that are admitted to the fellowship of Christ's religion that they may eschew those things that are contrary to their profession and follow all such things as are agreeable to the same. That's a prayer we need to pray for ourselves and for others constantly. And the wrong or strange or kooky ideas that we have in our heads are of multiple kinds. Craig identifies some particular ones that he sees around him, but there are many others. It's very common for Christians to be too much influenced by the world in their thinking, and especially in respect to common current moral issues, and not to really have a thought-through biblical view on these things. I'm talking about things such as homosexuality or feminism or 
the environment and environmentalism. There's a second aspect of the problem that Craig is raising, and that is he has noticed there is a problem, but has his pastor. Now, reading between the lines, it seems quite possible that he hasn't, and this certainly wouldn't be unusual. It sounds like Craig's pastor is preaching in a sound and orthodox way, but the thing is, people often have all manner of sub-Christian and non-Christian ideas floating around in their minds. And these doctrines, these ideas that they have, don't always emerge. In fact, they don't usually emerge in the quick word they may have with the pastor after church. These wrong or false ideas come out in all kinds of other ways, in daily decisions, in conversation, over dinner, in the way that they run or lead their families in small Bible study groups, in their behaviour at work, and so on. And this was one of Richard Baxter's key points in The Reformed Pastor, that classic account of the pastoral ministry. Baxter was insistent that sermons are vital and important. He was a great preacher. But he knew that people would sit in church for years and yet still have a limited or false understanding of biblical doctrine. And Baxter's point is that the only way for pastors and overseers and elders to know the spiritual state of mind of their members and to instruct and correct and disciple them accordingly, to take heed of them, as Acts 20 says, the only way to do that is to spend time with people personally. And, says Baxter, if there are too many people for you to spend time with personally and to instruct, then you're either too busy with less important things or you need to train some more overseers and elders and pastors to assist you in the task. Always such a challenge reading Richard Baxter on these questions. And that leads us to a third facet of the problem, one which Baxter did also write about with characteristic vigour, and that is that this lack of doctrinal understanding is not a light matter. It's a deadly serious issue that deserves our utmost attention. False or poor or misguided or imbalanced theology will always have consequences. At best, it stunts Christian growth, it holds people back, it damages the church. At worst, it can lead to destruction and lead people to make shipwreck of their faith. In particular, if the people who have false or underdeveloped theological understanding are the people who are leading others in the church, it only magnifies the problem and the consequences. The people that Craig is particularly concerned about in his email are lay leaders in his church. That is, people who have some responsibility for others, who teach and influence others in some way, perhaps through small groups or, or other ministries. If these people have poor doctrinal understanding or are wrong about certain things theologically, it will sow confusion and harm among the groups that they are leading. Well, so much for an investigation of the problem. What of Craig's actual question? Can you address how ministers can foster sound and coherent doctrine in their churches? Now, I've already written about this to some extent in a post in the middle of last year, uh, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It was called The Other Kind of Teaching, and I won't repeat all of that here. But let me make a few general comments about the need for systematic theological teaching as well as expository teaching and preaching before I get into the specifics of how we might foster this in our churches. 
It's absolutely right. We must hold the line on the fact that expository preaching, the expository method, should dominate our diet, our diet of sermons and also of small group studies. Because when we preach or study the Bible expositorily, if I can put it that way, we expose and unfold and explain how this particular part of the Bible is applying God's truth, theological truth, to a particular issue or circumstance or series of events. That's how the Bible comes to us. The Bible isn't organized systematically by topic. It comes in applied form. God's word is always addressing something, doing something. It's always achieving his purpose in a particular place or context or situation. And as we preach and study and learn and inwardly digest what God's truth is doing in all of these places in the Bible, we gain a wisdom, a wisdom that makes us wise for salvation, as 2 Timothy 3 says, that equips us for every good work by constantly disciplining, teaching, correcting and training us. So over time, as we do preach or study in an expository way, faithfully and well, we do grow in theological wisdom and we grow our congregations in theological wisdom. That is, an understanding of how various theological truths should frame their thinking and action in various circumstances, as we preach and teach through passage after passage. And this is why mature, well-taught Christians will often be able to kind of vibe their way to the right answer or to a godly course of action in a particular circumstance, even without being able to explain exactly how they've come to that conclusion. Their mind has been schooled in a biblical way of thinking and approaching things, and they've honed some theological instincts, if I can put it that way, by a constant exposure to the Bible's instincts, the way the Bible itself thinks about the world and about us. Now, having said that about how important expository preaching and learning and study is and how it does develop some theological wisdom in us over time, a very considerable amount, it doesn't cover every circumstance or question. We also need to help people connect the dots to fit together the various nuggets of theological truth that we have brought forth in all the various sermons and Bible studies that we've done over time. People also need a framework to put the pieces together, to develop their understanding. For example, we certainly need to teach 1 Corinthians 1 and what it tells us about the gospel of the cross, and particularly how it brings the gospel of the cross to bear on the problem of human pride and factionalism in Corinth. But at some point... And in some way, we also need to give people an overall understanding, a comprehensive understanding of the cross in all its facets, in all its glory. We need to show them how all the passages about the death of Jesus and what his atoning sacrifice meant, how they come together to give us a complete picture of what Jesus was doing on the cross. And this is useful not only in filling out that framework and helping to fit different passages into that framework, it also helps us to spot false theologies of the cross and not be fooled by them. Now we could say the same thing for that matter about the subject of pride. 1 Corinthians 1 teaches us a lot about pride and humility and how God humbles the pride by the way he reveals himself in the gospel. But we also would really benefit from seeing what the Bible as a whole says about pride, about its nature, its sources, 
and its cures. And that's really Craig's question. If that kind of systematic understanding is necessary, and it is, how can it be done? How can we teach people systematically as well as expositorily? Now, each church and context is different. That's the standard kind of caveat you always make at the beginning of these things, but it's the right caveat. Some of the things that I'm going to suggest may be good for your context, others may not. But the principle behind what I'm going to say is the same for every context. And that is that if we want to see people learn and grow theologically and doctrinally, then we need to take some intentional and deliberate action to see it happen. And that usually happens through repurposing or adapting one of your existing ministry structures, that is your existing trellises, to use that language, or creating some new ones. Now, Ministry trellises or ministry structures are of three basic kinds. It's not very difficult. There are large ones, small ones, and personal ones. There are large groups like churches and seminars and conferences. There are smaller structures and groupings for ministry like small groups or seminars or discussion groups. But there's also the personal level of instruction, the personal level of meeting and understanding and working through things. So let's think about all three of those levels and the kinds of things that you could do to further the cause of systematic theology of doctrinal understanding within a congregation. Let's talk about the large trellises, the large groups. The most common and most important large trellis, of course, is the Sunday gathering itself, that regular weekly opportunity for teaching and preaching and learning. Many churches take the opportunity once a year, perhaps, to do a systematic series, to choose a particular topic, four, five, six weeks, I don't know, and work through what the Bible says as a whole about that vital topic, touching on some of the key passages, but drawing it together into a framework that can shape people's understanding. That's a really useful thing to do. And within the diet of a whole year's sermons, it seems to me out of 52 sermons, if you take five or six or even eight of them and do some topical or systematic preaching at that time, it's worth doing. And it doesn't derail or undercut the quite proper emphasis on expository teaching and preaching that should dominate our diets. The other kind of large group or large trellis opportunity for this kind of doctrinal or systematic teaching is using things like stretch nights, that is regular times in the week, regular separate gatherings for your congregation where you can come together to dig into a, an important or topical subject. Some churches that I know do this in conjunction with their expository preaching. So for example, if you're preaching through Romans 9 and the whole question of predestination and election comes up as it does in that passage, then put on a stretch night, an extra optional evening for the congregation to come along and to dig into that subject as a subject and look at all that the Bible has to say about it. The same can be done for your weekends away or your big day ins or whatever you do as a congregation to gather the whole congregation together for some teaching. Those are a really good opportunity for a topical exploration, for digging into a big and important subject over the course of a weekend. Now, much of what we've been saying about large groups also applies to the smaller trellises that we have in our ministries. It's a really valuable thing to do, for example, to take one block each year, perhaps one six or eight week block in our small groups, and make them a topical or systematic study for those weeks. 
And I know a certain Christian ministry publisher that shall remain nameless, but is in fact Matthias Media, that has many suitable resources for this kind of study. Because the topical series is a hard one to write. It's really difficult. I know from experience, from having written many of them, and having edited and pulled together many of them that other people have written, it's not easy to draw together what the Bible says about a subject and to teach and explore that in a small group context where you have some discussion as well as the need to pull things together and land them and summarize and actually teach what's happening in this subject. And that's why resources like The Blueprint from Matthias Media, which is a basic doctrinal series, or other topical kind of resources like the new Learn the Gospel resource that, that I've written recently to do with learning what the gospel actually is, these have all been designed and worked over to some significant degree to be able to do that difficult thing within an existing small group. That is to teach a subject or a topic easily and fluently and successfully within a small group discussion. So I'd recommend those to you and the other topical things that Matthias Media and other good Christian publishers help us with on these things. Similarly, just like you might run some stretch nights alongside your Sunday morning preaching, it's also useful, and many churches do of course, run special training blocks or teaching blocks alongside or outside their regular weekly Bible study groups. Many churches in the US, of course, have this every week with the Adult Sunday School, which is a great opportunity for teaching doctrine. But if you don't have an adult Sunday school, then think about how possibly you might set up some separate things that run alongside small groups, perhaps occasionally, perhaps regularly, that deal with topics. For many years, churches have used the Moore College distance education courses for this purpose, the old Moore College PTC course, for example. And that's a great framework for pulling together a group of people and digging into a key doctrinal subject and learning about it together. Similarly, I've heard churches use book groups for this purpose, an ad hoc book group or perhaps a regular one, they say, that gets together every month or once or twice a term and deals with a book about a particular subject that helps you build your understanding of that systematic question. Now, dear listener, I must confess there is a hobby horse that is just trotting past me at the moment that I'm very tempted to jump on and take for a really good gallop. It's about the question of Christian books and Christian reading and their importance, especially in this area, in teaching Christians about important doctrinal and systematic subjects. Books are great for this. They do this in a way that the occasional talk or even the one-off stretch night can't. They dig into a topic. They take the time to unfold and explore and draw together all that the Bible teaches about a topic in a way that's often very difficult to do in one-off or even two or three-off talks. So let me commend to you the importance and value of using books for this kind of teaching, whether in personal work, in meeting with someone and helping them, whether in a small group or a book club, or in whatever way it might be. The recent books that the Jensen brothers have put out, for example, Philip's book on the Holy Spirit, Peter's book on the life of faith, which is a systematic theology, an overview in a simple and conversational kind of style of Christian doctrine. These are really important books and great resources for us to use in teaching people basic doctrine. But perhaps I should hop off this hobby horse before I take it too far and deal with one of the things that Craig particularly mentions, and that is that the people he's concerned about in his congregation are leaders. 
we certainly and definitely want our leaders, such as small group leaders, to have this kind of solid grasp of the basic elements of Christian doctrine. If they don't, it will lead to all kinds of problems for them and for their groups. But if they do have this basic grounding, and that goes to the kind of training that we offer and put in place for our leaders before they become leaders, then small group leaders, Bible study leaders, can be invaluable partners in teaching doctrine and theology to the congregation. It means that they'll be equipped and ready and able to take some topical studies and lead them with a degree of comfort and reliability. Just finally, it's worth mentioning the personal level of trellis, if I can put it that way, because really that's the Richard Baxter principle, that teaching doctrine to people does require some personal contact. And we need to find some way for older, more experienced theological heads to speak with and instruct and help younger, less experienced ones, and in a personal way, so that we can find out what people actually think and answer their particular questions and hang-ups, discover what their issues really are, and help them make progress. Now, this might mean taking time as a pastor to meet with your people, to meet with each of the families in your congregation once or twice a year, as Baxter did, or perhaps it means recruiting others to help you do this, other elders, or perhaps in many cases, mature Bible study leaders who can serve in this way as well. The point really is, in whatever way we find to do this kind of systematic, topical teaching and preaching, and at whatever level it takes place, whether it's at the personal or small group or large group level, it really is a vital thing to be doing, and it's worth pausing to evaluate just how much of this kind of systematic doctrinal teaching is happening within our congregation, and what the consequences might be if we don't put some effort into it. Now, I'm grateful to Craig for raising this question and giving us an opportunity to ponder it together. He had another question as well, but I fear that it's too important and too complex a question for us to deal with quickly at the end of this episode, so I might save it for next time or perhaps the time after. But to whet your appetite, here's the question that Craig posed that we'll deal with sometime in the future. He's talking about a church that he went to in his local area, not his own church, but a neighbouring one, one that was Reformed Baptist in theology, he says, not a charismatic church, a church which is seeing lots of evangelism, people coming to the Lord. But he writes this about attending the church. I was totally unprepared for the intensity of the experience, Craig writes. I once attended Hillsong, Surrey Hills. This far exceeded that. Except for stage lighting, the room was pitch black. The lights constantly changed colour. There was fog that created a moving glow over the stage. And the sound was so intense, I could feel the pressure on my chest. I opened an acoustic analysis app on my phone and measured sound levels, and they were continually in excess of an ear-damaging 100 decibels. It was total multi-sensory overload. I don't pretend to know their intent, but either purposely or inadvertently, they seem artificially to be inducing the experience of Isaiah's vision or Paul on the road to Damascus. Now, Craig's question is this. Do you think that the second commandment is more than a prohibition of a visual representation of God, but that it prohibits simulating God's presence in any manner? Does the use of sensory mechanisms to enhance worship collide with the second commandment at some point? 
now there's a fascinating discussion to be had here, really, about how we experience God and his presence and the place of physical or sensory manifestations within that experience. It's a complex issue, a really important one, and I'm looking forward to dealing with it in the next week or two. In the meantime, please do get in touch and let me know what you think about today's episode, about why theology matters and what we can do to teach sound, good doctrine to our people and especially to our lay leaders. Well, as always, you can get in touch by just sending me an email at tonyjpayne at me.com. Or if you're one of our email subscribers, that is someone who gets the podcast and newsletter version of Two Ways News sent to your inbox every week, you can just hit reply to that email and let me know what you think. If you haven't signed up for that email yet, if you're just listening to this in your podcast app, well, that's okay. But there are some advantages in being an email subscriber. You do get the information and the newsletter, the text version of Two Ways News sent to your inbox each week. And it reminds you that it's there and it gives you all the links that you can click on. Uh, It's a great thing to do. Go over to twoways.news, click subscribe, and you can sign up to that for free. Well, it's been great to be here this week with you and to talk about such important things. Let's close as we always do in prayer. O Lord, from whom all good things come, grant to us, your humble servants, that by your holy inspiration we may think those things that be good and by your merciful guidance may perform the same through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.